This isn't the first story that we've heard about a widow. It's not even the first story this month we've heard about a widow in church. In scripture, the widow is most often used as the caricature of vulnerability. The widow is lumped in with the poor and orphans and immigrants, highlighting the most vulnerable and downtrodden of society. It's because of the precariousness of their social and economic position that Jewish laws make explicit mention of them over and over, helping to ensure protection, provisions, and that they do not fall victim to exploitation. The precariousness of a widow's position is indeed an important factor in the message of these stories. The thing is, though, we lose some of the complexities of these stories when we only view the widow as a caricature. In addition to being vulnerable, widows also appear as prophetic, active, and faithful. Do you remember the poor widow from a couple weeks ago? She was a model of faithful generosity. The first widow of Luke's gospel is Anna. She's a prophet. She spreads the good news of Jesus' birth. At another point in the gospel, Jesus mentions the widow of Zarephath. She offered food to the prophet Elijah in the midst of a famine with what little she had. Elijah ended up bringing her son back from the dead. Later, Jesus does the same thing with the son of the widow of Nain. All of these stories come from just this gospel that includes the widow from our story today. She is indeed vulnerable, heading out day after day without anyone to protect her, to bang on the judge's doors. But most notably, she is persistent, active, and forceful enough to get the justice she demands. Now, it's a pretty common complaint that scripture is hard to understand. What do these wild ancient stories even mean? And so what? What does it have to say for me and my life? So isn't it nice when this story starts out by telling us exactly what it's all about? Did you hear that? Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. Could you imagine if all of the stories we read started out this way? Imagine you cracked open Harry Potter and it says, this is a story about wizards and the triumph of good over evil. All the Harry Potter fans in the room are like, wait, 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 wait. But it's also about love and it's also about friendship and identity and love being the best magic of all. It's true. On the surface, this parable is a story about the contrast between a just God and a very unjust judge and the hopes of teaching us readers the value of patience and perseverance in prayer. But the widow wasn't just practicing persistent prayer. She was insisting on justice. The persistent widow wore down the judge until he provided her with justice, but not for the sake of justice, rather just to rid him of the annoyance and irritation. Then Jesus promises that God, unlike this unjust judge, will quickly bring justice to those who cry out, justice for justice's sake. All it takes is five minutes watching or reading the news to contradict this hope. 
children crying out with hunger pains for years only being met with empty bellies, years and years of undrinkable water just down the road from here and in countries all around the world. And how many years has it been since the civil rights movement began and racially charged terror and crime is still a daily occurrence in this country? Jesus says, do not lose heart. But we do lose heart, don't we? Perseverance in prayer and justice seeking is anything but simple. This right here might be one of the greatest challenges that the church faces, especially when you consider that it's 2,000 years later and we are still struggling with injustice and unanswered prayers, just like our siblings in Christ who have gone before us. As I reflected on this scripture for the past week, I could hear Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s words from a letter from the Birmingham City Jail echoing in my head. Will you put that up on the screen for me, please? In 1963, King says, we know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Frankly, I have yet to engage in a direct action campaign that was well-timed in the view of those who have not suffered unduly from the disease of segregation. For years now, I have heard the word, wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. We must come to see, with one of our distinguished jurists, that justice too long delayed is justice denied. King's words are strong, yet painful. Too many people are still being told to wait. Prayers still go unanswered. Justice continues to be delayed. So many lose heart. So where is this God who promises to provide justice quickly? In the face of that question, this parable swoops in with a powerful conviction. God is still worthy and faithful to that promise, despite the reality that we may not see within our lifetime the justice that has been promised to us. Thy will will eventually be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. To which King also spoke, saying the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. This is where that first sentence of the parable is actually really important. It didn't say this is a parable about what we should expect from God. It said this is a parable about us and our actions. This is about how we struggle, as did the widow for justice, even while we see justice unfulfilled in our lifetime. Now, I wouldn't be a graduate of a Presbyterian seminary without being at least a little bit fond of John Calvin. Reformed theology, and especially Calvin, always emphasize that we cannot separate who God is and what God does from who we are and what we are called to do. This story is as much, or I would argue, more about us as it is about God. Rather than sitting and waiting for God to meet our needs, are we not called to do justice for and with the disenfranchised? Rather than waiting for God's miracle, 
Are we not called to be the miracle that others have been praying for? Prayer plays a huge role in Luke's gospel. The book begins with the whole assembly of the people praying outside the temple. Jesus prays at his baptism and withdraws to pray at very key points in his ministry and once more at the Mount of Olives before his death. Jesus instructs his followers to pray for their enemies. And when the disciples ask him to teach them to pray, he introduces the Lord's Prayer. Thoughts and prayers have gotten a bad reputation over the past few years, for good reason. Thoughts and prayers have been flippantly used by politicians to dismiss or claim any responsibility for a lack of policy change or action. Our story for today reminds us that the type of prayer we're talking about here is not a passive activity, but one that actively seeks God and pursues God's hopes and dreams, God's will for us as it is in heaven here on earth. So what does active prayer look like? Active prayer looks like Holy Saturday. Do you remember Holy Saturday? It's the day after Good Friday and the day before Easter. It's the in-between day. Holy Saturday is a seemingly hopeless place. It's a seemingly hopeless place where all that is known is the brutality and violence of Friday and Sunday seems so uncertain, too far away to just wait for. Liminal spaces like that are really hard. Teetering on the edge of what was and what will be is incredibly uncomfortable. That's why we very rarely ever recognize Holy Saturday. We're really quick to jump from the pain and uncomfortability of what happened to the joy and celebration of what we know is coming. But Holy Saturday is where the widow lives. She's suffering, pounding on the doors of injustice, not knowing if she will ever see her prayers answered. I'm struck with the realization that only those with privilege have the option to not be persistent. Only those with privilege can escape the uncomfortability and demanding of justice. Only those with privilege can hop to Sunday and take a break. You see, the widow has no choice but to continue demanding justice from the unjust judge. It happened to be so that he gave in to her demands, but I am convinced that if he did not give her justice, she would have been back the next day and the next day and the next day demanding justice until her face turned blue. 10 years ago, I had a wise professor remind me of something I have never forgotten. Church was never meant to be comfortable. Physically, have you ever been to one of those old churches with those really hard pews? They didn't put the cushions on them? Yeah, they're really hard and the backs are like almost perpendicular to the seats. They're like 89.9 degrees, like just shy of 90. They are uncomfortable and they are uncomfortable for a reason, to keep parishioners followers of Jesus, the faithful, awake and listening. Awake and listening to stories like these that force us to look inward and see ourselves in the unjust judge. 
or challenge us to examine our privilege or encourage us to get a little bit uncomfortable in the pursuit of justice. So how do we do this work? Oscar Romero, in a letter to the Catholic Church about their mission to be a voice to the voiceless, the poor and disadvantaged, said this about how we are to do the work of justice seeking. He said, it ought to be solidarity with them, running the risks they run, enduring the persecution that is their fate, ready to give the greatest possible testimony to its love by defending and promoting those who were first in Jesus' love. Running risk, enduring persecution, suffering with. It begs the question, how uncomfortable are you willing to get? Are you willing to give money to a homeless person not knowing how those funds are going to be spent? Are you willing to give money to a nonprofit that causes your financial situation to become a little bit uncomfortable? Are you willing to vote to bring affordable housing to your neighborhood at the expense of upsetting your neighbors? Are you willing to step out of that comfort zone to march or protest with strangers in a potentially dangerous area? Are you willing to enter the discomfort and unease of Holy Saturday in full resistance to injustice and in full commitment to active, persistent prayer? Amen.